What we've learned about Dr. John Raymond, president and CEO of the Medical College of Wisconsin, is that he does like a good hairband. Excuse uh, he me? He does like the rock and roll. I know. He's a rock and roll guy. He's a, a bit of a metal guy, That's too. definitely what I think of when I think of Dr. Raymond. <laughs> Not. But, but, it's, but it's true. Uh, right. It's true. I love it. I love it. He's multifaceted. It's time for our health briefing. Always happy to be joined in studio by Dr. John Raymond. Good to see you. Good afternoon, Amy and Greg. Uh, nice to see you as well. We did this uh, earlier in the program. City of Milwaukee is uh, sort of siding with where the country is going here, Dr. Raymond. What does the ending of the COVID-19 public health crisis this Thursday mean Just in more practical terms. Yeah, um, the public health crisis does expire uh, this Thursday. So what it means, Friday, um, the public health emergency won't affect your access to COVID-19 treatments or vaccines, but it may change some things that you have to think about in terms of your eligibility for benefits from health insurance, both public and private. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, so it means that you may be responsible for covering some or all of the costs of COVID-19 tests, including some of the -the over-the-counter products. You might also be required to pay for part or all the costs of vaccinations, especially if your provider is out of network for your health and insurance. Deadlines for enrollments and private health plans might also be stricter with regard to grace periods, either for a change of life circumstances or for open enrollment. And eligibility for Medicaid or the children's health insurance programs also might change. And then finally, some health plans might change coverage for telehealth and virtual visits. So my advice is if you're concerned about any of those uh, changes, talk to your health insurance provider. Do you think it'll materially affect the uptake of the vaccine at all? It might, but honestly, where we are in the pandemic right now, the, the uptake for the bivalent vaccines hasn't been good, um, even though they do provide an extra level of protection. Um, so I think the people that want to get them will still go ahead and, and do it. I, I don't think that there'll be much of a barrier of entry. Uh, Dr. Raymond, COVID-19 vaccination has been associated with some cases of heart inflammation, especially in younger men. Uh, is this a significant issue? And what insights do we glean from the study. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's it's an issue that's that's frequently spoken and debated about. So I, I would say from that perspective, it's important. So myocarditis or inflammation of the heart muscle occurs in about 20 people per million vaccine doses administered. So, you know, not that often. And typically it manifests with chest pain and some other heart-related symptoms in teenage boys and young men. So they are disproportionately impacted. It's usually uh, self-limited. It occurs within seven days after an injection of of a vaccine and typically doesn't have any long-term side effects, although obviously some people can have uh, persistent problems. When you say self-limited, you mean you get over it? It goes away. It goes away. With just with a tincture of time. And sometimes people use non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Once in a while, people are are admitted for observation or they'll get uh, intravenous steroids to treat it, but generally uh, self-resolves. Do you have symptoms from it? Would you know? You can. You can have severe um, chest pain, that uh, shortness of breath. You can even have systemic symptoms like muscle fatigue and, and a bit of a fever. I turned 45 in March, last March, and I get a notice saying, hey, you're now eligible for a colonoscopy screening. I think I was always eligible, but now it's just sort of covered. So the guidelines have changed. Used to be once you hit 50, it's something you want to go do. It's likely to be covered by your insurance. Uh, but now they've moved that to 45, and it's it's becoming more and more common in younger people. Uh, how long has the data trended this way, and, and what do we know about the rise of colon cancer and, and why 
officials looked at this and said, let's let's move the screening up a few years. Yeah. Greg, I'm sensing that you really weren't celebrating that eligibility for the colonoscopy. No, not at all. Uh, Not at all. Anyway, the incidence of... Yeah, the incidence of colon cancer has been rising for the last 25 years. It's actually doubled. And what's even more troubling is that the um, this doubling has happened primarily in people under the age of 55. So what we used to think of as the right time to start colon cancer screening has really over time been lowered and lowered. So 45 is where it is right now. But, um, you know, there's a recommendation that if you have symptoms – um, and there are a number of them, uh, bleeding from the rectum, abdominal pain, persistent diarrhea or constipation, or if your laboratory show that you have iron deficiency anemia, that you might want to get a, col- a colonoscopy if, even if you're younger than age 45. And we don't really know why the colon cancer incidence is going up in young people, but it may have to do with two primary uh, things. One is obesity which causes pro-inflammatory states. So you have increased inflammation that is known to be associated with cancer. And the others are diet. And you think a lot of those toxins can actually stay in your digestive tract and cause problems by simply by exposure to the colon. That's interesting. We also have important news today for women and breast cancer screening. Um, and an advisory health task force has uh, lowered the age to 40 instead of 50. This was, wasn't it 40 before, like a few years ago? So a little back and forth here. Well, Amy, you're really on top of things, and and thank you for pointing this out to me. But um, let me just start by saying breast cancer is the second leading cause of cancer in women, cancer deaths, and death rates are higher in blacks and African-American women. So today, the United States Preventive Health Task Force, which is an independent group of medical experts, posted updated draft guidelines suggesting that breast cancer screening for women with normal or average risk should um, start at age 40 uh, rather than 50 and should uh, go on every other year until age 74. So you asked me, wasn't it already age 40? Yes. And I think the confusion here is the American Cancer Society, which is a professional society, has had a recommendation to start breast cancer screening at age 40 for a while. Dr. Raymond, I'm always paying attention to things associated with Alzheimer's. My grandmother died uh, probably about 35 years ago from Alzheimer's. Uh, There's an experimental Alzheimer's medication that slowed the declines in a patient's ability to think clearly and perform daily tasks. If Alzheimer's, you just start to lose sense of who is around you and what's happening. Speech gets compromised as well. Eli Lilly is uh, behind this this, uh, advancement. How significant of a breakthrough is what they've been able to discover. Yeah, thank you. This is potentially a very significant breakthrough. You know, Alzheimer's disease impacts about 6 million people in the U.S., and there are somewhere between 1 and 1.5 and million people age 65 and older that in the, are in the early stages of dementia. So what this study did was examine a large number of patients that were in the early phases of Alzheimer's disease and tried to measure whether the decline of their cognitive function slowed down. So this wasn't a study to look for improvement. It was a study to see if you could slow down the rate of deterioration. And just as you pointed out, they looked at the ability to do short-term thinking and activities of daily living. And what they showed was a 30-plus percent reduction in the rate of decline. So this is um, really potentially transformative in the way that we think about Alzheimer's. We have medicines that people are are used to to try to prevent this decline that have not been this 
impactful in the past. Maybe one of the reasons is that this new medication attacks the plaques that cause Alzheimer's disease, the beta amyloid plaques in the brain, and essentially dissolves them. Um, So this could be a real breakthrough. And as you pointed out, the medicine's called denanomab, and it's given by monthly injection, and it's intended to dissolve those plaques. So it could be transformative, but it doesn't have FDA approval yet. Mm -hmm. And there are some side effects that need to be worked out that could be significant. So we can't celebrate just yet, but it is the second drug like this that has been uh, put out on the market. I would qualify that as some good news, but do you have additional good news to share? Yeah, it is good news. Uh, Of course, it's Mother's Day, and I have an amazing mom, so I want to celebrate that on Sunday. Well, we look forward to doing that. Dr. John Raymond, President and CEO of the Medical College of Wisconsin, thank you so much for coming in once again. Thanks, Greg and Amy. We'll talk to you again next week.